this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, we've spent a really good chunk of time in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I wish, I need to go back and kind of look so I can do the math, because I just keep saying that every week. Um, (laughs) But I do know for like the last two months, we've been in this kind of side tangent of the Sermon on the Mount. There's interruption, if you will, where Jesus is teaching on prayer. And he gives this model prayer, or what we might refer to as the Lord's Prayer, And we got to do kind of a deep dive into it. And I was really encouraged by it. And I hope that you guys were blessed and encouraged by that too. All of those teachings are up on our website as well as on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And so if you want to kind of catch up with some of that and uh, just go listen to me talk. I don't know if anybody here struggles with like sleeping, insomnia at night. Anybody? That's me. Uh, you could just put one of my sermons on, and my soothing, calming voice could drift you into slumber. Bad joke. Okay. <laughs> but we've been, uh, we've been in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We wrapped up last week the, the Lord's Prayer, His teaching on prayer. And uh, you may seem like, oh, well, we're skipping a section. We're not going to talk about fasting. I actually talked about fasting uh, before we jumped into prayer, if you guys remember that, that was a long time ago. And so uh, we did it a little bit out of order. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you guys want to turn with me there, we're not going to read it quite yet. Uh, that's a little preemptive, but that's going to be our text, our main text for the morning. And I'm excited to jump into it. But the, the main key of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, that I, I really want us to grasp is that it's a call for his people to live counterculturally. It's a call for you and I to live differently than what society deems as normal and, in effect, transform that society, transform that culture by living differently in the midst of it. It's, uh, it's how we bring about the kingdom of God is something that we've kind of established. It models what a repentant, regenerate heart looks like in practicality in everyday life. Because it, it's something that you need to understand. Just simply saying yes to Jesus, simply saying, Lord, I want to make you my Lord and Savior is good. And that, that brings about salvation. That, that puts us right with God. But that simple that simple response demands a lifestyle change. If what we say to Jesus is, yes, you are Lord of my life, we cannot continue living in the same pattern that we did before saying yes to Jesus, or we make God a liar is what scripture tells us. And so the reality of it is, is if we say yes to God, If we say yes to Jesus, our lives have to look differently than the world around us. And Jesus really outlines exactly how different they should look in the Sermon on the Mount. It's awesome. Anybody been watching The Chosen? 
Has anybody, it's like this TV show about Jesus, and it's pretty great. It's a little weird because you have to, like, watch it from your phone and on your TV, but it's great. The whole, like, season two, uh, like, end of the end of the season is like a build-up to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I was like, oh, this is really cool because we're preaching the Sermon on the Mount right now in church. This is neat. And then they cut it off, like, right before he gives his sermon um, at the end. So spoiler alert if you haven't watched season two. I guess that's how they're going to start season three. Anyway, it's pretty good. Uh, plug for some uh, free Christian media there. <laughs> but I've been really loving what we've been reading in the Sermon on the Mount and how it really fleshes out what repentance should look like. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, which I'm in 1 Kings chapter 15. That's where I opened my Bible to. So give me a second. <laughs> I think I actually opened it to Matthew chapter 6, but the air conditioner blows the Bible. The pages, they're real thin. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and it's a big chunk of scripture today, 19 through 34. And if you get like a little foretaste, if you look at this, uh, we're talking about money today. And we're talking about possessions. And I really need you to, to understand this. I saw all of you roll up in Bentleys and, and Lamborghinis this morning. In fact, I think I saw Michael fly in on his private helicopter. Um, and so I, I know the crowd, I know the audience here that we're all rolling in the dough, right? If, if somebody here is just like a multi-billionaire and I don't know about it, man, good on you uh, because you had to be fooled. I, I, want, I want to be clear. As we talk about possessions, as we talk about money, as we talk about the, the deceitfulness of wealth this morning. I don't want us to immediately check out because you, you think you fall into a category that this isn't applicable to me because I don't have much, okay? This, the dangers and the enticement of materialism is just as prominent for the one that has nothing as the one that has a lot, I need you to understand this because I think we could miss out on the words of Jesus. We could miss out on something that is extremely life-giving if we simply say, you know what, I've never had a lot. Um, and so maybe what Pastor Nate's talking about this morning isn't directly applicable to me. And I want you to know the word of God is extremely applicable in every circumstance. And so please follow with me here as we talk about something that is Pretty historically hard and awkward for me to talk about as a pastor. I don't really love talking about money, and I always kind of get awkward and tense and, and you know, just kind of like stumble around my words when we're talking about money, especially if we have to like take a big offering or something like that, um, because I know the stigma that is attached to the church and money. Uh, at least if you haven't had a bad experience with the church and finances, um, I would say that you're probably in the minority. I know for myself that it has been a great barrier. It's been a great hurdle for me to have to attempt to, to, to jump or, or navigate, especially when I'm witnessing to people because of their poor experience with the church and finances and the church and money. And it's one of those things that's pretty heartbreaking. It's pretty frustrating. It's pretty discouraging. How many of you guys know that there's a stigma associated with the church at large, and it's one that all we're after is money? 
right? That's all we talk about. That's all that we see, and we see it like plastered on memes across the internet. Uh, It's a thing, right? Can we talk about that today? Is Is that okay? Maybe you're like me and your reservation stems from like maybe a, maybe a, maybe like a firsthand experience. Uh, when I was eight years old, my family was in church. We had been attending for a number of months now. My parents were heroin addicts. And uh, so the fact that we were even in a church building was a miracle in and of itself. And I remember my parents really wanting to try to make better decisions. And they wanted to meet with a pastor for prayer. And so I remember gathering up, like it was a weekday afternoon, we went to the church, I sat in like the foyer that smelled like old people, and uh, I'm just kidding, it did, that's what I remember as an eight-year-old, okay guys, and it just, it was weird, it was tense, it was awkward, there was the little church secretary that sat over there, my parents went in to meet with this pastor to get prayer, and uh, they were there maybe 30 minutes max, and I sat there kind of uh, just waiting. (laughs) And they came out, um, and that little church secretary handed my family a bill for counseling, for meeting with the pastor. And uh, I remember that put a pretty bad taste in my mouth. That was the last time we went back to church as a family, as a young kid. And I grew up resenting Christianity and God and the church. And that wasn't the only reason why but it was definitely a factor in it. And I just, I can't think of how many people that have been hurt by the church and its mishandling of scripture in terms of finances. And so before we jump in, I'm I'm sharing this all kind of as a disclaimer, um, because maybe you're like me and you've had a poor experience with the church asking for money or talking about money, and you have this perception that, you know, all we ever care about or all we ever want is money. I want to I put you at ease this morning. I'm not going to pass around a, a second offering plate or anything like that and try to guilt trip you into my second private jet or something like that. That's, that's not, there isn't like a, a surprise ask coming here in the midst of the sermon, but I will be very clear. I'm not going to be apologetic about what Jesus says about money. That is one thing I refuse to do this morning, and I refuse to not talk about it just because it makes me uncomfortable or it might make you uncomfortable. Because Jesus had very sharp, very pointed words when he talked about finances, when he talked about money, when he talked about possession, that I think our culture and our society desperately needs to hear. I know for me, it's been a gut check, and I've been on this kind of God, like, why do you have to convict me? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to do the convicting, right? No, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. But that's, 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 that's somehow how my conversations go with the Lord. And I'm not going to be overly apologetic for anything that Jesus says, because I think I'm in good company when we talk about uh, what he's talking about today. And so <laughs> I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to beat around the bush. But Jesus says some pretty intense things here, and he he speaks very pointedly. And, uh, you know, uh, Randy Alcorn wrote this little book in, I think, like the 90s, uh, just talking about our treasure in heaven. And, uh, like, he he went through and broke down all the verses uh, throughout the gospel in which Jesus talks about money or talks about possessions. 
and it equates for 15% of all of Jesus' teaching. Uh, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal when you kind of put it in the scope of the other things that he talked about. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined together. He talked a lot about possessions. He talked a lot about materialism. I think it's interesting, especially as we've been reading through Isaiah, Deeper Project, Saturday, or not Saturday night, uh, Tuesday night at six o'clock, where we've been looking at this, uh, we've been looking at uh, this kind of uh, imagery of the harlot and materialism that exists all the way back in Isaiah that we connected all the way in the book of Revelation. It's really cool. Scripture is awesome. You should read the Bible. But Jesus talked a lot about money. And so before we jump into Matthew chapter 6, I just tried to narrow it down and pick a handful of verses here that I felt like were applicable to us as we jump into this topic today. Is that okay? And so, Adam, I sent you a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, verse references. I'm not going to use all of them. I'm going to use some of them. So you might just have to fly by it. I'm sorry, man. You're awesome. He, put, he puts my like sermon uh, scriptures in on Sunday mornings for me, and then I change them. And so it's never our media guy's fault if what I'm talking about isn't on the screen. It's 100% on me, just so you guys know. <laughs> Unnecessary interruption there. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. This is Jesus uh, speaking with the rich young ruler, right? The one that, that missed out on an opportunity to follow Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. He says, then Jesus, looking at him, the rich young ruler, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's one of the saddest, most distressing things in Scripture that I read. <laughs> was a man gave up his opportunity to follow Jesus closely. Missed up on an opportunity to, to, to potentially make history because of stuff. Mm. Luke 18, 24, it says, And when Jesus saw that, he be, saw that he became very sorrowful, this is picking up in a different gospel, but the same story, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Luke twelve thirteen, it says this. Then one from the crowd said to him, this is Jesus teaching uh, essentially very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and this guy interrupts him. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> this guy had some audacity, right? That'd be like one of you, just, I'm not Jesus, but like one of you jumping up in the middle of me talking this morning and say, it's like Darwin, 
hey, tell Lisa that she has to agree with me on building a house right now. <laughs> right? Like, that'd be weird. Don't do that because I'm not an arbitrator before you do. And that's what Jesus said. He said in 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? But he uses this as an opportunity to bring and shed light on the condition of the heart. And he goes in 15, he says, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those who, then those then whose will those things be for which you have provided? Verse 21, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You guys can see a theme developing here, right? I'm not, I'm not kind of like, I'm not here to just be like super palatable and easy. Uh, Jesus talks about the, the enticement of possessions the enticement of money. And I don't think it's like, I, I don't think Jesus just has like something against rich people here. You know, it says that uh, uh, Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. So we know Jesus roll, wasn't rolling in the dough or anything like that. Um, and it's not like he just has this animosity like towards rich people, like, oh man, rich people have it all. They have all the stuff and they're oppressing me and I don't have anything. And it's not like this resentfulness that he's speaking here. Jesus is very clear that there is something enticing about materialism. There's something enticing about possessions and stuff and money that makes it hard to say yes to God. And at the end of the day, Jesus recognizes that your life with God is far more valuable than anything that you could ever possess. If he does not possess your soul, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you possess at all because it does nothing for you in the scope of eternity. Guys, there's so many verses I could have used because, like I said, uh, a good majority of what Jesus taught on was teaching on possessions and materialism and stuff. We could look at the believers in the early church, right? In Acts chapter 2, where they sold everything that they had and brought it to give it to the poor and distribute amongst themselves so that any had need, right? Paul commended the Macedonians that they would give out of their extreme abundance of poverty. <laughs> like that they would give out of being poor. <laughs> they would give extravagantly. Uh, we look at all the things that Jesus talks about or any of the other like seemingly ridiculous things that our Lord would say about money and possessions. Um, and we could spend all day and we could talk a lot about it. But there's two verses that I've already read that I want to hit on again because I feel like they just so summarize what we're talking about today in Matthew chapter 6. And then we'll get to our main text. But Luke 12, 15 this, this caution, I don't need to like emphasize it. I don't need to 
or I, I don't need to like explain it. Jesus does very good here in just being very pointed. He says, take heed and beware a covetness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Right? He's saying, hey, guys, you need to watch out. You need to be careful. You need to be observant that you're not desiring things in an unhealthy way because one's life, your, the sum of your existence isn't, isn't dependent upon what you own, on what you have. Uh, there's something far more valuable. And he, he goes on in verse 21. This is the second verse. It says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That person is a fool. Friends, I, I need you to understand this. What you have does not define you. You, you guys know this. This, this. this is probably pretty elementary, but it's something that I know this, and it's something that God continually has to revisit my heart on because stuff does not satisfy. It wasn't the fact that the man worked hard in that parable and did good and made a lot of money and had a lot of stuff and had a good crop. Obviously, for him to yield a crop like that, he had to work the ground well, be knowledgeable, work hard. The Lord didn't speak evil. It didn't speak against that. It was the fact that he had given himself to his work but not paid no mind to his relationship with God, right? That, that was where the fault was. It's in this place where he was more preoccupied with what was taking place here and now rather than what was to be demanded of him in eternity. Let's let those things kind of stew, those words stew as we look at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 19. I'm going to read a big portion of this because I want it to just uh, hit you in context. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Praise God. I feel like we could just stop there (laughs) and try to let that sink in. Um, I'm not going to go in depth with all of this today. We're not going to talk about the evil eye and what that means. I I told you that we were going to talk about mammon and serving two masters. We're not. Not today. I don't want to, I don't want to waste time just kind of talking about all the things that we could talk about. I'm going to try to stay very pointed and very clear. And the first thing that I would want to make a point of is that materialism is an enemy to the kingdom. Right? If the Sermon on the Mount outlines what it looks like to be kingdom citizens, what it looks like for you and I to be representatives of Jesus, uh, we have to understand that materialism is an enemy of that goal. And Jesus very plainly said that you cannot serve two masters. We cannot be enslaved to this God that is materialistic of the culture that is continually chasing after wants and needs and still serve Jesus. It is an impossibility. And you might say, well, I know of Christian businessmen that do very well. And I'm telling you right now, if the God that you serve is money, you cannot serve Jesus. They're irreconcilable, irreconcilable. I'm not the one that's telling you that. Jesus is. I'm telling you what Jesus said. But Jesus was very clear that you could not serve too. Now, that doesn't mean, we'll talk here in a minute, that you can't be well off, that God can't bless you and you be saved. But I am saying it's a lot harder. (laughs) There's responsibility that comes with that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But obviously, this is something that Jesus takes very seriously because he knows how nefarious the pursuit of riches can be, especially in the condition of our heart, right? Remind you, when I, we read that Luke chapter 12, it's kind of like the parallel to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. The guy interrupts Jesus' teaching, right? Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of heaven, teaching on prayer, and then, he, then all of a sudden, this guy interrupts and says, hey, Jesus, uh, make sure my brother gives me a fair share of the money of our inheritance and I, I feel like Jesus has to just be like here, like just frustrated, right? Like these guys are not getting it, anything that I'm talking about, right? And he, he teaches there uh, very similarly to what we read here. But uh, when we read that Jesus cautions us not to store up treasures on the earth, it's not just that, you know, stuff, money, possessions are intrinsically bad. You guys have to understand that. Like, like your things, your, your money, in and of itself, it's not bad. But it's of, a, it's of no ultimate value either. Okay? So your money, it's not, it's not bad. Right? It's not uh, your, your, your stuff that you own, the clothes on your back. It, it's not bad. I mean, some of you probably own some bad clothes. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. My wife is all into like those fashion shows. She like gets all nerdy. She's like, I've seen some stuff that those guys wear on those fashion shows. They're bad. They should be thrown into the fire. Um, anyway, t- 
totally irrelevant, not pertaining to the gospel. Um, <laughs> but they don't have any eternal value either. And friends, as men and women of God, we need to devote our things, we need to devote, we need to devote ourselves to stuff of substance, things of eternal significance. If we were to waste our time and energy pursuing the, the amassment of wealth and stuff that really has no eternal value for no purpose other than the fact that, you know, we can say that we did it, um, it's, it's a fruitless endeavor. It's a pointless one, right? It's those, there was this t-shirt that was like a design that was popular when I was in high school. It's like a U-Haul trailer being behind a, 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 a hearse. And it was like, you can't take it with you. It was like a play on U-Haul. It's real cheesy and whatnot, but it, it's pretty striking and it's pretty true. Like that was like the Egyptians like idea of like success, right? Then they like pad their pyramids and their tombs with gold and all these treasures for the afterlife. It's like, well, that's silly and stupid. It doesn't really do you anything. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about like, hey, your stuff is bad. Like all your money's bad, go burn it or something weird. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But the pursuit that uh, consumes men to amass stuff is a, very, is a very real one that we see consistently, uh, that I see the dangers and enticement of it in my own life. I see it throughout our culture. And throughout our society, we have something called the American dream, right? Uh, I don't think it started as uh, weird and materialistic as it is today, but the American dream is pretty much defined by having a nice house, having, you know, uh, a security blanket, and being comfortable in your pursuit of happiness. But did you know that the gospel of the kingdom is in direct opposition <laughs> To the American dream? Woo! Amen, brother. Nobody, nobody gets all excited about that. You know, your, your idea of success and wealth and having comfort and making sure that, you know, uh, you're, everything is nice and cozy and that you have all that you need and stored up and living and amassing wealth and having a nice 401k those things, I believe that you cannot read the words that we just read right now and reconcile that with the current idea of the American dream. I say that, 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 that you're like, whoa, okay, Pastor Nate, like that's pretty intense. I'm not the one making this up. Jesus is the one saying these things. You have to have a conversation with him about this stuff, not me. <laughs> oh, man, but... It's this never-ending plight of bigger, better, faster, newer, right? We've got to have a bigger house. We've got to have the bigger smartphone. We've got to have the newer computer. You know, we've got to have the nicer Jeep. Ugh. Talk about Jesus convicting me. Uh, Y'all laughing. It hurts still, okay? Um, but, but for real, like, not even... Our joy and satisfaction is never going to be found in regards to what we own or the stuff that we have. You know, there's never going to be a magical number in your bank account that is going to equate with happiness. 
That just that doesn't that doesn't work. In fact, I've read studies and heard and heard of uh, heard of statistics all over the place that making more money does not equate to happiness. <laughs> then I've read studies that it does. You know, like money can buy ice cream, and ice cream makes me happy, so money equals happiness. Yeah, I get that. But in 1992, this was uh, I, I realize this is an older statistic, so just kind of go back with me here, but. Uh, it was from a reputable group, uh, Barna, uh, did, a, did a survey, and they asked people this specific question. It was, how much money would you need to make to achieve the American dream in your life? And they asked people of different categories of income. And so, mind you, this was like 30 years ago that this question was asked, so account for inflation or whatnot. But those that earned $25,000 or less a year, when they were asked this question, how much money would you need to make to achieve the American dream? They responded with $54,000 a year should be good. And I could be happy and I could be comfortable and things would be good. And you know what's crazy? As they began to ask that question, when they asked people that made 50 something thousand dollars a year, their response was 100 something thousand dollars a year. And then when they asked the people that were making a, over $100,000 a year, their response was it, the average came out to like $198,000 a year. And we could be comfortable and we could be happy. It was this, it was this interesting insight to that there is never enough to satisfy. Right? There's never enough to, to, to be comfortable and finally figure it out and reach like this happiness plateau uh, that, you know, you're going to be satisfied. In fact, it, it, if you look at that survey and those statistics, it was, almost, it was almost like a steady, like, line increase of needing double for you to be happy or for you to achieve the American dream. And the truth of it is you will never find satisfaction in stuff. And Jesus knows that. <laughs> to lay up for yourself treasure on earth is to endlessly pursue something that has no ability to satisfy. It's a doomed endeavor from the beginning. And Jesus cautions us against it. The secret to happiness has never been more, and it never will be. It has to be something different. We have to learn contentment. Does that make sense? It's not always easy to think about. It's not always easy to swallow. But contentment is something of utmost importance. If we are going to healthfully, health, if we're going to represent Jesus well. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing... With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." never going to be enough. The pursuit of riches is a dangerous thing. 
But if we can learn contentment, (laughs) if we can, by way of the Holy Spirit, be satisfied with what God gives, um, it frees us immensely from anxiety and worry. The end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount there deals pretty heavily with this notion of anxiety and worry. And it's so crazy how closely those conditions are associated with stuff. I don't know if you think about it. um, How many of you guys' money stresses you out? It's like, I've got bills to pay. I've got mouths to feed. And Pastor Nate, you're up here talking about like, just don't worry about it. Like, (laughs) I tell my bank that. And they were like, whatever. I tell the mortgage company that. And they're like, no, I don't care if you're not worried about it. We are. Like, let's be real. (laughs) But God does provide. And if if we can learn contentment here, if we can find a way to be satisfied in him, uh, Jesus promises us that the rest would work out. If we can seek his kingdom first, all these things will be added unto it. Oh, man. Um, I need to go back because I don't have... I'm all out of sorts here. Contentment, be content. Can you do that? No, you can't. You need the Holy Spirit. Uh, That was Jesus juke. Uh, I'm working on it, guys. We we need to work on it together. Uh, I had a really good point, and I accidentally just cut a whole section out of my sermon. I am so smart. Aren't you guys impressed with my delivery this morning? Okay, well, um, contentment. You got that one verse. I'll tie it back in later. (laughs) It's important. But the natural combatant to materialism, friends, the goal is contentment. How do we get there? How do we store up treasure for ourselves in heaven rather than storing up treasures for ourselves on the earth? Jesus gives us some pretty clear insight in that. And so if the goal is contentment in God, right? Satisfaction in him and him alone and everything else kind of works itself out. If we want to get there, we don't want to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, but we rather want to store up treasures in heaven the goal or the avenue that we get from here to there, I believe, is one of generosity. And like I said, don't worry, I'm not going to pass the plate, but God tells you to give something, you do it. And I don't want you to think that when I'm talking about giving or when I'm talking about generosity here, that I'm exclusively talking about uh, like a plate that we pass around or a box on the back wall. You guys understand me there? There is generosity that has to exist beyond just the walls of the church in everyday life. By all means, we operate solely on offering here. And we're grateful for that. It enables us to do stuff like 
you know, bless our retail workers and restaurant workers. You know, like it, it helps us do things like actually keep the lights on and me having a microphone. It, it helps those things. But know that, that what I'm talking about here is not exclusive to us passing a plate in a church. Okay? You good? And so if generosity is the avenue that we get to contentment, I believe that is an avenue that we, that we can kind of steer ourselves on in order for us to store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. And so I think this would be a good place to say that to be rich isn't evil. To have lots of money isn't evil. To have nice stuff isn't a sign of you being possessed by the devil. <laughs> But it's important that you make sure that your money, that your stuff, that your possessions doesn't have a hold of you. It's not wrong to have nice stuff, but when your stuff has hold of you, uh, that becomes a big problem. <laughs> because if there is ever a moment that Jesus could have the conversation with you like he did the rich young ruler and say, uh, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And your heart would immediately put up like, uh, like hands and say, yo, hold up, Jesus. You don't really mean that, right? I think it's an indicator that, man, something needs to give and there's a posture of our heart that needs to change. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.